Would you please take your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We're right in the middle of our series in Philippians, and uh, it's not a race to get done, it's, but it's also important that we keep an overall scope of what the Bible is trying to teach us, what the Lord is trying to teach us in His Word. In Philippians, you have several uh, themes. One of the major themes is joy, but, but even more than that is the theme even more often mentioned than joy is the theme of the thoughts, the mind, thinking. Uh, and, and it's talking about, overall, the theme is how to have joy through the mind of Christ. So it's not just how to have joy. We, we ought to have joy. But as believers, we have access to the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is the Word of God. So never, never worry about, I just hope that I'm thinking like Jesus. You know whether you're thinking like Jesus by whether you're thinking like the Bible. The Bible is the mind of Christ. It has, he gave us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. And so how to have joy. Now, why would anybody need to be taught how to have joy? Well, there's a lot of things that are pushing back against joy in our lives. All kinds of circumstances. Often it's people... Uh, but, but another major one is, is health. Uh, finances is a major destroyer of joy. Uh, and, and so there's all kinds of reasons not to be joyful as a human. But as a believer, there's no reason not to be joyful. Because we have the mind of Christ. You realize that the worst problem you have in your life cannot go past the grave. It can't go. You can go past the grave, but the worst problem you have in your life can't go past the grave. Because once you get to heaven and you, and you finally, your spirit, which is already seated in the heavenly places, your spirit matches up with your new body, you're not going to have the pain. You're not going to have the disappointment. You're not going to have the, the financial woes. Your car is not going to break down. You're not going to have the things that you had here on earth. And so because we have the mind of Christ, then where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is in Christ. I have his mind. Therefore, in Christ, I'm already above my problems. I'm already past death and sorrow. I'm already there. You say, that sounds like somebody's been, you know, taking some kind of a, you know, smoking something. Well, that's, that's what most people have to do to forget their problems. They have to pretend like they don't have any by messing with their mind, right? We don't have to mess with our mind if, and pretend that we don't have problems. We recognize that we do have problems, but the mind of Christ is so powerful, he can sustain us with joy in the middle of the problems. Why? Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. The mind of Christ was able to endure the cross because he had joy that was not connected with circumstances. And so that's what we're talking about in the book of Philippians. Now let's read verses 1 to 8. I thank my God, I'm sorry, verses 3 to 8. And we're going to see here Paul's prayer requests, which are actually Christ's prayer requests. Now sometimes we talk about Paul did this, Paul did that. Remember, the word of God is the word of God. Yes, given through Paul. Yes, Paul wrote it. But it is actually the Holy Spirit of God who penned these words. 
So when you see, I thank my God in verse number three, you can actually put that uh, in connection that you can say that's Jesus Christ writing to us. All right. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. Now, we're going to find out what his requests are later down the, down the passage. But notice, he makes these requests with joy. And he said, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, normally, whenever you think of bowels, we think, oh my, intestines. And we laugh about that because uh, we've come a long way. But, but you, what you find out as you go further and further, the word of God is right, and where we don't understand it, it's because we're the ones that are lagging behind. Uh, just recently, Harvard Medical School has uh, put out an article, and there's a whole bunch of, of articles uh, in the medical profession, in the journals and so forth, talking about the gut-brain connection and that there is a distinct link between the brain and the stomach and the intestines. A in other words, uh, have you ever talked about having a gut-wrenching experience or butterflies in your stomach and so forth? Um, you ever feel nauseous when thinking about a certain scenario? There's a d distinct connection there. Uh, the, the gastrointestinal tract is sensitive to emotion. And so anger, anxiety, sadness, uh, elation, all of those things can, can trigger symptoms in the gut and vice versa. How many know that this is true already? You experience it, right? Well, in the bowels of Jesus Christ, I mean, we know that we really feel up here. Do we really know that? You know what? Science is trying to tell us that all we are is a computer. Really, all you need is your brain, and everything processes through your brain. But that's not true. You, you, are, you have a complete body, and you experience the world with that body. And the, the, the brain is somewhat the control center. We think that it is. But there's all kinds of things that are happening outside of your brain. And uh, I don't know about you. I'm glad I'm not just a floating brain going through the world. Uh, that would be probably rolling through the world. So when he says here, the bowels of Jesus Christ, what he's talking about is the innermost feelings of Jesus Christ. Now, notice he said, I long after you all. Paul loves these Philippian believers. And he said, I really I really am affected by you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. So the, the, the bowels of Jesus Christ are the inner feelings of Jesus Christ. Paul is in Christ. Every believer is in Christ. We have access to the feelings of Christ. We have not an high priest, Hebrews tells us, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Our high priest feels what we feel. Okay, so... But he feels them in a godly, righteous way, in a holy way, in a divine way. He feels those things. Uh, have you ever had a difficulty processing your feelings? I'm not sure what to, feel, what to think about this. I'm not sure how I feel about this. 
Well, Paul said, I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, technically, if Jesus Christ fills the entire universe, you and I are inside Christ, both spiritually and physically. But spiritually speaking, we are in Christ, so we have access to those feelings. As Paul grew closer to Jesus Christ, the feelings that Christ had for the Philippians became the feelings that Paul had for the Philippians. You see what I'm saying? Jesus felt certain things about the belief. Aren't you glad that Jesus' feelings are not based on the circumstances that you and I go through? What he feels for you and I is based on his unchanging nature, the love that he has for you and I. It's not based on whether or not we deserve it that day. Boy, boy, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? It's based on the fact that he said, I love. God so loved the world that he gave. We love him because why? He first loved us. And he didn't love us because we were so lovable. He, there was something in him that just decided, I want to love those people. And so he loved us. Now, those feelings that he has, and love is a feeling. It's not only a feeling, but it's connected with feelings. That feeling that he has goes beyond what you and I can possibly understand. It's so much more. Paul here is saying, I feel so deeply for you. I feel like Jesus feels for you. And because of that, I have some prayer requests for you. You know what that tells us? Our prayer requests ought to be based on what God would pray. They ought to be based on what Jesus is praying for people. You know what we should do? We should pray like Jesus prayed. And they asked him how to pray. He said, here's how to pray. And he started talking, our Father, which art in heaven. And he went down the list. But I want you to see here, we get an opportunity to understand how to pray like Jesus prays. Christ's prayer list, what does it look like? Well, in verse number nine, he said, I'm longing after you in verse eight, and this I pray. Do you ever realize what a privilege it is to be able to pray? You sure will, you will understand that when, when you need something from God. What a privilege. I don't know the president. I don't know the vice president. I don't know uh, the mayor here in town. I probably should, and I could. I just haven't met him yet. I, I don't know these people that are in great powers of leadership. I've met a few leaders in government. But, uh, I, but I can tell you this. When you really need something, you start climbing the ladder of authority. You start looking for people who are more powerful. And that's why when you feel completely worthless, vulnerable, hopeless, you start reaching out to God. And what a privilege it is that we can access that almighty God. So he said, this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Paul prayed spiritual prayer requests. You don't, fall, you don't really find Paul praying for people's health. Uh, he did talk about how so-and-so was not doing well, and, and I, I, I'm praying that God will restore him. But, but really, his prayer requests were, most of the time, were for spiritual things. There's only one time in the New Testament where he prayed and, and asked for something for himself, and that was that he would have that messenger of Satan, the thorn in the flesh, taken away. Remember that? And that was not answered. Uh, that's the only prayer that was ever denied that I know of from Paul. All of his prayers were intercessory prayers. They were prayers prayed on behalf of others. 
So as we get into our prayer lives, we need to start working on this, guys. We have praying for people's health down, and we need to do that. Why? We are physical beings. Something that we need to learn to do more as believers is pray spiritual prayer requests. Why? The physical body lasts until it dies. The spirit will go on forever. So when you, and what's interesting is your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ are going to be based on what you did on this earth, not what you do in heaven, what you do before you get to heaven. And so when we pray spiritual prayer requests, we're encouraging them in the Lord, whoever we're praying for, to be more Christ-like, to have more rewards of the judgment so they can bring more glory to God at that point. So spiritual requests, they're, they're not exciting. They're, they're, it's not really cool. And, it, and sometimes it's hard to know. And I'll tell you the reason. You can't know what to pray for, for believers until you know Jesus more. You can't pray spiritual prayer requests until you are more spiritually discerning yourself. So he's praying here. He's not praying for people to get rich. He's not praying for them to, you know, have God grant them the lust of the flesh. He's praying for their spiritual, spiritual well-being. Now, we often pray for the physical and the material well-being, and we should do that. But why do we pray for those things most often? Lord, bless, you know, bless so-and-so at work, help them to work hard. Lord, bless these guys, help their health to get better. Lord, give them a vacation, help them to get that new house they're, they're praying for. Lord, give them that new car. Lord, you know they need to, uh, and we pray that way. I'm not saying it's the worst thing to do, but, but you know why we more easily pray for that? Because we, especially as Americans, we believe health and material wealth bring happiness. What we're really doing is we're saying, God, make them happy. And here's how you can make them happy. Give them what they want. Give them a new house. Give them new clothes. Give them a new wife. Amen. That'll make them real happy, Lord. The truth is, only happiness, our happiness rather, only comes from God, from our relationship with God. How many of you realize that having all the stuff doesn't necessarily equate to being happy? You, you ever notice that? Now, some of you are like, I don't know about that. I don't know. I'm still working on that one. It's the truth. Paul actually gloried in his health problems. Did you ever notice that? Paul gloried in his health problems. Why? Because, not because he was some kind of a, you know, sadist. Not because he, he enjoyed feeling pain. Because he knew this, when I am weak, then am I strong. When I am physically down, I more easily glorify God. God is being glorified in my health problem. Now, I don't even know why in the world the Lord would ever encourage a pastor to preach a message like this to Americans. That sounds like the stupidest thing, can I use that word, that's ever been said. Thank God for my health problems. No, 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 no. You thank God for perfect health. Anything less than that is a judgment from God. Isn't that interesting? But what Paul prayed, now, I don't know what, he, what exactly he had. It was, it was probably a combination of spiritual and physical. He said it was a thorn in the flesh, and then he said it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me. He was probably spiritually being attacked and physically. And how many realize that the spiritual affects the physical? Right? It's all connected together. And what did Paul say? Thank God for it. 
You see, both a lion and a gazelle experience physiological changes when the, when the chase begins. You ever notice that? Uh, maybe you haven't, maybe you've never been a gazelle before, but maybe, uh, have you ever thought about the fact that, that a lion is not just like, ah, they go chase that gazelle. Now we know the gazelle is freaked out of his brain, but you realize that there's, there's a mental difference. There's an energy level difference in the lion as well. Why? What's happening? They both have elevated heart rates. They both have focus. But one's chasing, the other's being chased. You know, if you ever think about the fact that maybe God brought this health problem, this financial problem, to help you, but instead of, it, instead of you looking at it like it's helping you, you think you're being chased by the devil and being destroyed. Maybe the challenge that's there is that God is allowing you something that you want. You want to be more like Christ. So he allows a trial in your life. Your heart rate's elevated. Your, your, your stress level is higher. Yeah, but ask yourself, am I being chased or am I chasing? Am I the lion or am I the gazelle? You see, Paul said, uh, I'm about to, to check out. I'm but he said, I finished my course. I'm about to die, but I finished my course. I pressed toward the mark. So let me ask you this question. Are you really the victim? Or is God using this to make you what you always wanted to be? Paul glorified in his physical problems. So Paul is cutting through all the superficiality and he's praying for their deeper need, true spiritual growth. And what was the prayer? He said, this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more. He's not praying that they would start loving one another. No, they already love one another. Look, look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and look at verse uh, 5. He's not praying they'd start loving. He's praying that, that they would continually love and that their love would overflow, go beyond the bounds. Right? He said, I want your love to just be so full that it spills out, and it keeps spilling out, and it keeps spilling out. When's the last time you felt like you had more love than you could handle? The Lord wants your love to abound more and more. You have a scarcity or abundance mindset when it comes to the Lord. Look at Romans chapter 5. Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given us. Did you, did you see what he said? How do we get that? Well, back up a little bit. Verse 3. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by our diligent following of him. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by our crying and praying and begging God and sucking it out of him. No, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. He fills our heart. Why? He, when? He fills our heart when we realize that this tribulation is working in me to make me patient, to give me experience. And that experience says, I have hope. I see what God did and I see what God's doing and I see what God is going to do. 
and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. You see, the moment you're saved, you have everything that you need in Jesus Christ. And then as you go along, he, he gives you somehow more and more. They had more love. He said, I, I, this I pray that your love may abound, yet more and more. You say, well, I don't feel that in my life. I can tell you that. I haven't felt the love of God in a long time. Well, love, love is a living thing within you. Love is growing in you right now, whether you know it or not. People say, I just can't find in my heart to love right now. I understand what they mean, but, but can, I, can I say this? What, what they really mean is right now, it hurts too much to love the things that I should love. So I love the things that are easier to love. I'm going to say that one more time. People say, I just don't have any love in my heart right now. And I would argue, no, you have love. Love is a growing thing. It will find an outlet. It's like water. It seeks its own level. It's growing in you right now. But maybe it's not easy to love the things that you ought to love. And so you're loving the things that are easy to love. Like what? Uh, apathy. Solitude. Uh, disappearing from public life, trying to get away from people, revenge, security. You're loving something. You see, the Bible says the love of money is the what? The root. What does a root do? It grows a plant. So the love of money could be taking the love of God. So your love is, instead of your love being focused on the Holy Ghost and how he's working in this tribulation, your love is focused on maybe the love of money. Your heart is producing the love of money. What does that bring? The Bible says love of money is the root of all evil. What, what could the, the love of money bring? It could bring covetousness. It could bring greed. It could bring violence. You know, Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And, and he said, he's departed into Thessalonica. So Demas was a young man who was following God, but while he was following God and loving God, his heart began to diversify his portfolio. It began to separate a little bit, saying, yes, I love God and I love the gospel ministry, but I also kind of love being an American. I kind of also love having nice stuff. And, and, and as, as God, he always does this. He brings us to a fork in the road. We have to make a choice. Which one are we going to do? It hurts sometimes to follow God. It takes things from you. It can sometimes take relationships from you. It can cost you money. You may not get promoted at work because you choose to follow God instead of just play politics. It will cost you. So the love of God is shed abroad. But we want to say, well, I'll love God as long as everything's going great. No, you're, listen, I'm trying to be as, as kind as I can about this because it's a hard lesson to learn. It could be that God intends for you to have a really difficult time and through that, learn to love him more. 
But if you say, I can't believe in a God who would make me hurt like this, then what you're saying is, I can only believe in a God who does things my way. God, as long as you do things my way, I'll follow you. But if you cross me, watch out. I'll leave you in a heartbeat. I'm not interested in following a God who requires things of me. Why would a God hurt me? I can't believe that God would ever do this. And we start, our heart starts to depart. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this. You know what that means? It was in his heart for a while. He had been loving the world. And then when push came to shove, when he had to make a choice, you following God or you following yourself? He's like, I just, I just don't see how, how God would ask me to do things like that. And he became very good at explanations and reasons and sounding very logical, but he was fleshly. He was carnal. He was addicted to the world. And so he chose the world over the love of God. Paul said, I'm praying this, that your love may abound yet more and more. It's not going to be easy. How many of you haven't been married for uh, more than 30 years? Would you raise your hand? Okay. How many of you have said, I have had some very difficult times in my marriage. Raise your hand. Okay. Okay, let's try it. How many would say, I've had some times that were not amazing in my marriage? Okay. <laughs> right, back the sarcasm down. Amen. You know what that means? You should never have gotten married. If you had married the right one, you wouldn't have these problems. You say, everybody's laughing because you know it's stupid, right? Well, I thought God was going to make my life better. Yeah, that's like saying a special forces soldier, when he gets his beret, is just like a better person. He was okay, and now he's better. Yeah, you forgot about all the problems that he had to undergo in between that. The, the, The guy, the Navy SEAL, that gets the trident pounded into his chest, he stands there. Having gone through hell week, the worst week that he's ever experienced, physically, mentally, emotionally, and then he gets rewarded. Well, I can't understand why God would. You know what? You start realizing how much God wants you to love him and how much he wants to bless you. I can't believe in a God who wouldn't put you through what you needed to go through in order to bring you to where you wanted to be. What kind of a God wouldn't try to improve you? Wouldn't try to challenge you? Wouldn't make you a better person? You see, it's, it's all in how you look at it. Paul is praying here, and Christ is praying for you and I that our love would abound yet more and more. Now, what does this look like? Well, godly love, godly love looks for needs in the lives of others, and it seeks to meet, to meet those needs with no thought of returned favors. Godly love gives. True love has goals, but it gives even if those goals aren't met. Some people say, I want somebody to accept me as I am. Good luck with that. Why? Because you're not always <laughs> worthy of acceptance. I'm not always a lovable person. Sometimes I need to change and grow 
Well, I just want somebody who accepts me. I wish my parents would just accept me exactly. Your parents, that would not be an expression of love for them to leave you the way you are. I'm glad my parents didn't do that. It's not an expression of love, but here's the difference. Love of God has goals for you, but he is not going to force you. But he has goals, but he's not going to force you. Some people say, well, I, I, I don't want to have, you know, real love just gives. No, no, real love is seeking to purify and elevate. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish. He didn't leave us there but have everlasting life, the life of Jesus Christ. It's not just get out of hell free. Thank God it is that. But it's conforming, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He has goals, but he's not going to force you. This is, this is Christ saying this, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. Now, what does that look like? Well, he says in knowledge and in all judgment. Back to Philippians 1.9. So true love is not just a feeling. Knowledge and all judgment is not just warm, fuzzy feelings. See, a lot for a lot of people today, especially Americans, as Americans, love means tolerance. It means accepting everyone and everything. And like the song says, if, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Love means no discernment is allowed. I like what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, merely having, uh, merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind, as of opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. That's a great point. Love. That's like walking around with your mouth open all day. <laughs> Close your mouth. You're supposed to shut your mouth on something solid. Your mind is not just love everybody. If you love everybody, I can guarantee you those, there will be conflicts. How do I know that? Because try to love two girlfriends at the same time, see what happens. Try to love a hundred girlfriends at the same time and see what happens. See, that's not love, that's lust. True love is targeting, is focusing, it's choosing. He said, I pray that your love would abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Are you with me this morning? Okay, here we go. The best way to have more love is to know Jesus better. That's the best way to have more love. To know more of his word. Because true love learns. He said, this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in what? What's the word? Knowledge. Just, just for vanity's sake, would you all say it together once? What's the word? Okay, good. I just want to make sure you can talk. All right. Now, isn't it interesting? When we're sitting in, in church or class or whatever, it's like he's always talking to somebody else. <laughs> and that means I'm talking to nobody. <laughs> it's natural to feel sympathy when you drive up, up to a light and there's a guy that's got a sign, hungry, homeless, anything helps. And, and me being cynical sometimes, like anything, as in getting a job, would that help? You know. I, that, um, that's not what he meant. But that, sometimes I think that. Now, I do appreciate the people that say, I saw one uh, down at Walmart Central. It, he had a sign, homeless, broke, and ugly. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we're throwing him a bone, something. <laughs> but, uh, 
he's willing to admit it. You know, he just come out and said it. But, but it's hard. It's natural to feel sympathy, but we have to learn to think beyond what is easiest for us as the giver. So discernment would say this. True, true love with knowledge would say, okay, I could help somebody, but am I helping them to continue in their self-defeating practices? Am I encouraging a bad habit that's destroying their lives? And, and how many of you realize that um, not everyone, but many people who are homeless are that way by choice? Some of them, it's because of drugs that have overtaken because they maybe had all kinds of problems in their lives. Maybe not. Either way, they continued. And, and, and there's a lot of people who care. But when you're homeless, when you're isolated, it is many times because you have on purpose burned every bridge in your life. People try to help you and you say no. Your parents reach out to you and you say no. People sometimes will come by, often they'll come by the church or call the church and they'll say things like, do you pay electric bills? And we say, well, we do. There is one major one that we pay, our own. Right? You see, I'm not talking about being unloving. I'm talking about true love. True love grows in knowledge. It knows more about the scenario. Now, I've told the classic illustration. I'll have to tell you for those that haven't heard, uh, those that have, just forgive me. A guy comes by the church one time and he says, uh, hey, uh, I, I need to get some diapers. And I've never seen a man come and ask for anything with a positive spirit like, is there any way that you could help us? They're always, you know, I don't know, man. I just, I don't know. That's just the spirit that they give off. So he said, can you have a diapers? I said, absolutely. We, we, uh, he's like, I just want to get some money for diapers. And uh, I said, okay, we actually have diapers right here in the nursery. So I went in, I got some diapers, and I brought them out. He's like, no, man, these are too big. <laughs> I said, well, right. well, you are in luck today because we have other sizes. I went back into the, into the nursery. I said, here's some smaller ones. And he said, no, man, these are too small. And I'm like, is this Goldilocks? What are we talking about here? He was looking for the diaper that was just right. And at that moment, I realized he doesn't care about diapers, right? I don't know what he wanted the money for, but he lied to me. He's not looking for diapers. So then I said at that point, there's nothing I can do. You came in and said, this is what I need. I said, here's a way to provide. Now, it's not perfect, but beggars can't be choosers. I offered you two different sizes. And he said, I don't want that. You see, that, that you, the, the Americans, we hear that and we say, that's unloving. You know what it actually is? It's love with knowledge. Knowledge. Knowing. Knowing a little bit of what's going on. You say, you have no idea what's going on in his life. You're right. And guess what? He didn't tell me. He lied to me. He said he needed diapers. He didn't need them. There was something else that he was not willing to state to me. I don't know what it was. Now, there are some times you'll find people, and that's why I said not always, there are some people who are truly destitute, who are truly hurting. And, and, and we need to pray for discernment, wisdom in those cases. We can actually help those people. I know some people will say, hey, I'd rather just give them the shirt off my back and, and just have, yeah, be careful. Make sure you're, you're, you're loving with knowledge, not just doing what makes you feel better, but doing what's better for that person. A lot of times people will call, 
uh, they'll say, you know, does your church help people? And they say, I'm a member of blah, 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 somewhere and somewhere. I said, oh, really? Who's your pastor? Let me ask you this. You're in Toledo. You're a member of Hope Baptist Church. When you have problems, who are, the, who, who, who are going to be the, some of the first people that you contact and let them know that you have problems? It's going to be people in your church. And that's why it's so important to be a member of a local church. You have a, a built-in support system. You help them, they help you. It's a wonderful thing. But true love has to go beyond just sympathy. If love is to act intelligently, it has to be taught. You have to add knowledge. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> Paul is, is uh, talking. And by the way, if a person's too lazy to work, feeding them and, and, and putting them up in your house is not helping them. The Lord has a cure for laziness. You know what it is? Hunger. Doing without actually makes it easier for the person to make good decisions. Their mind becomes focused. First Thessalonians, watch it, verse, chapter 4, verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, that's charity, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. No one can be made to love someone else, but you can be taught to love one another. They're taught of God. The world says love is blind. You know, that's like the, the guy, you know, the, the, the girl got the ring. He, he proposed to her, gave her the ring, and, and she said, this is, this is zirconium. And he said, honey, love is blind. And she said, yeah, but not stone blind. It's true. The world says love is blind, but the love of the Christian should be enlightened, informed, Educated by what? By the word. By the word of God. How do we know who should we help? Uh, what, how should we help the person? We know by studying the word of God. As we know more of the word of God, our love has more knowledge. Unless love is regulated by a knowledge of the word of God, our, our good feelings, our good intentions devolve into just passion up and down. Emotionalism. For instance, the Jews had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So they had lots of passion, but it wasn't regulated by knowledge. So what did they do? Well, they ended up believing that they were serving God by arresting Christians and throwing them in jail and then killing them. They thought because they were doing, they wanted to do something for God that they were doing right. Why? They were governed by their emotions. Instead of being governed by the word of God, if they had studied the scriptures like the Bereans, they would have seen Jesus is the Christ. And these, new, these believers in this new religion are actually following the way of salvation. But they didn't have the knowledge. All they had was the zeal, the passion. They just wanted to fight. They just wanted to feel something. Be careful that, that, that the movies and, and, and social media doesn't suck all your emotions out on people that you'll never meet. You spend your energy, your emotion on, on movies and on social media, and you never actually put it in, into practice anywhere. You have to have love that's governed by knowledge. Your love will be controlled by your theology. So your, your theology better be right. Remember the disciples, James and John, came to the Lord and they said, Lord, 
There's some people that are not following us. They're casting out devils and they're not with us. Do you want us to go ahead and call down fire on them? Lord, we'd be happy to do it. Whatever you need. You want us to torch them and see their bodies melt? We'd be happy to do that for you, Lord, whatever you need. And the Lord said, ye know not what manner of spirit you're of. They had passion, but they didn't have enough knowledge. They had emotion, they had feeling, but it wasn't governed by the knowledge. And so the Lord regulated them. The word of God in flesh said, you don't know what you're doing. He that is not, with us, is not uh, against us is for us. And he began to instruct their love, their passion. So true love learns, he said, more in knowledge. And then also notice, true love then judges. True love learns and then judges. Paul's not praying that they get smarter. He's not praying that they get better at judging people. He's praying that God's love will abound to the point that they love people the way God loves people. All right, so let's say you go to work. Here comes Mr. So-and-so, the classic guy who always ticks you off. You know, you and I, if if you're like me, I've already determined based on my prior experience with this guy or girl, how I am going to interact with that person. I've maybe classified them as an idiot, a bully, a simpleton. I already know why. Because how I came up, because my experience with people, I just have that insight. And I read a lot too. So I just have this knowledge of human nature. And I have people categorized. Black, white, you know, Latin, Polish. Boy, those folks, I'm telling you. And uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We've got a lot of good Polish people here and then some of the rest of you as well. But we have them classified. And I think, well, I'll tell what my dad always said about Polish people. I'll tell you what he always told me. Okay, your dad may have been right or wrong. It doesn't matter. I'm, he's not my God. My God is supposed to teach me how to love people the way he loves them. And the, and, the, and the modern Christian says, exactly. He just loves everything and everybody. No, no, he said he, he prayed that their love would abound yet more in knowledge and in all judgment. You know, by the way, the love of God ended in what? Judgment for Jesus Christ. Why? Sin had to be paid for. He couldn't just say, I love all y'all. Everybody come in here, come in here, get over here. He didn't say that. He went to the cross and died so that he could bring everyone close. So true love sacrifices, but true love grows in knowledge and in judgment. Notice he said, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Judgment is a scary word for us as Americans. Why? Judge not. Judge not. Every day of your life, you have to make judgments. How do I know? When you came here, you had to make it a judgment based on whether the light was red or green, whether or not you should turn left or right, whether or not the food in your fridge was fresh or needed to be tossed. That's, here's, here's one. Is this person going to harm me or are they completely harmless? Let's say you're walking out of the mall late at night and you hear footsteps behind you as you go to your car. Now, you may be so preoccupied you don't think about it. Or you might think, I better make a judgment call. So you speed up and you listen to see if the footsteps speed up. You are an evil person. Why would you judge someone like that? Flip it over. Why wouldn't you judge someone like that? 
it would be important for you to know if this person, okay, so you're going to have your kids are going to go over and play with the neighbors. It would be helpful to know whether or not your neighbor is a pedophile. That would be an important thing. You evil person. Why would you judge someone? You have to judge someone. But the goal is not for me to come up with my own criteria for what I think about different people. It is to get into the word of God and know God so much so that I can discern whether or not this person is right or wrong. Because how many realize your experience only takes you so far? And there is such a thing as redemption. There is such a thing as someone getting saved and born again. So now they have a new life. And yes, it's important for us to use our our, our understanding. I know that this right here is not the platform. I make a judgment. It's going to be two feet down or two and a half feet. If I don't, if I just walk out and think it's the, the platform, I'm going to hurt myself. You do have to make a judgment, but based on what? Not my own experience. See, when you're in the spiritual realm, it's not just about how I came up and what my parents were like. And I hit that hard all the time because spirituality is not necessarily biology. What you have known, even what you've experienced with other pastors, that may or may not be what God said in his word. We have to try, prove all things he said. Now, I want to take you to the Old Testament and show you the difference between judgment and discernment. And this is important. Go to 1 Kings chapter 3. This is an important, uh, an important point because we are required to judge righteous judgment, but we cannot do that without knowledge, without discernment. 1 Kings chapter 3. The Lord says that Solomon loved the Lord, but he maintained the high places. You can see in the earlier part of the chapter. But when the Lord comes to him and says, I want to give you a gift. You're David's son. I want to give you a gift. Chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. This is what he says. Give, therefore, this is Solomon saying, Lord, you offered me as close to, you know, the genie in the lamp as you'll ever get in the Old Testament. And this is what he said. Give, therefore, thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. Discernment is knowing the difference between good and bad, between right and wrong. That's what discernment is. He says, give me an understanding heart. And then he asks the question, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? In other words, I cannot judge without discernment. That's where the knowledge comes. I will not be able to make a proper judgment. Now, the Holy Spirit is very kind to us, and he gives us an example of just that in the, the, the later part of the chapter. Look at verse 23. Now, remember, the two prostitutes come. The two prostitutes each had a child. They each had a son. One of the prostitutes rolled over on her son at night and killed him. The other didn't. So you got one dead boy and one live boy. And the one who killed her son comes and accuses the other, saying, She killed my son and pretends like the living son is hers. You know what people love to do? People love to put you in a position that seems impossible so that they get to make the call. That's why the Bible talks about in the the last days, men would heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. What is that? Well, I like how this guy preaches better. I don't like this guy. Or my favorite is this. Or I have a whole panoply of YouTube preachers that I listen to. 
I fear for you. Not that you can't listen to preachers, but if you are setting them all up against one another and you refuse to accept one as a spiritual leader in your life, you're actually hurting yourself. Because what happens? When you heap to yourselves teachers, you become the final authority. That's what happens. And so that's what they're doing here. They're coming and and the woman is saying, choose between us. This woman is lying. She's accusing, she's accusing the one that was right. And so now here's Solomon. He said, Lord, I need discernment so that I can judge properly. Look what happens. The king said, bring me a sword, verse 24. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. Wow. Discernment, actually, etymologically, it's talking about uh, cutting away. Right? Circumcision, scission, incise. It's talking about cutting. Discernment is cutting, separating. Okay, now watch what he says. Divide the living child. So this is an action based on discernment, on what he thinks. And give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose living child was unto the king, whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. Notice she, her feelings, Right? And uh, she said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. But the other said, let it neither, let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, give her the woman who as it was, give her the living child and in no wise slay it because she is the mother thereof. This is action based on discernment. So he brought, he brought the baby out, said, bring a sword. He said, cut the baby in half. What did that do? It brought those women to a place of decision. And it was discernment for him to do that because he said, I can't tell, I don't know what the difference is. I don't know who's lying. So I'm going to take a step and move forward to see who's right and who's wrong. See, this is how you, have, this is how you develop uh, judgment. You develop judgment, it's based on discernment and discernment is based on separating things. You ever notice that the devil likes to put everything in a big hobo stew and stir it all together? Everything, no one's wrong, no one's right. Everybody's a little bit wrong, a little bit right. Everybody, and we just want to keep it all, what? and guess what? That's how people get their way. That's how evil people triumph, is by relativizing the truth and mixing and mashing and smashing it. Well, it's really, nobody really knows, and we're all just kind of, you know, not so great. And not, no, discernment says, separate it. Okay, we got to put this over here, put that over there. You can't play a game without separating, right? So in order for there to be any kind of real movement and progress, there has to be an understanding of what is right, what is wrong. Are you following me this morning? Are we going too far? Is this enough? I mean, too much? How many would say, let's close in prayer? (laughs) All right, we're going somewhere. Stay with me. So now he says, okay, what we're going to do? We're going to do this hard thing. We're going to cut the baby in half. And the mom, the real mom says, oh, no, 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 don't cut the baby in half. I would rather not have what I want. I care about that baby. I don't have to be right. I just care about the truth, the objective truth. You know what the other woman said? Go ahead. She was bluffing. And she had to keep bluffing in order to stay in the game. And that's how Solomon was able to figure it out. It was discernment that said, let's just separate this stuff. Let's stop trying to ride the fence. 
Let's make a decision here. Let's own it. And so they make a decision. And the woman says, oh, no, 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 don't do it. And then I said, okay, give her the child. So the judgment came because of discernment. The discernment came because of a willingness to separate things out. To say, okay, peas are on that side of the plate. Hamburgers on that side of the plate. Well, why don't, why don't we all just take hamburger, peas, mashed potatoes, carrots, and, and gravy and just grind it all, mix it all up, and drink it? Is it not the same thing? No, it's not. No, it's not. Years ago with college and career activity, uh, we did, we were kind of, that, remember that, that show they used to have called Fear Factor? And uh, so we were doing something like that. And they took, uh, they took the donut, filled donut, and they took all the, the filling out. They put in like sauerkraut and, uh, you know, um, what else did they put in there? Sour cream and uh, mustard, things like that, you know. And then one of the girls had a brilliant idea. She said, I'm going to take a Happy Meal and we're going to put it in a blender. And she did. She put the cheeseburger, the fries, and the Coke in the blender and drink it. It's the same thing, guys. You ever notice that's what the devil wants to do with your life? He wants to put everything right, wrong, up, down, people who you love, people who you followed, people who you don't, you don't really like but you hang out with. He wants to put it all in a blender and drink it all. He, he wants to say, well, you know, the Buddhists believe this and, you know, the, the Muslims teach this and all that. Just put it all in a blender and drink it all. It tastes disgusting. Nobody wants to drink it. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It gets you out of the prison or you'll stay in the prison if you don't own the truth. You say, well, I just want to live my life and I want to serve God and I want to have some good things and forget it. You're putting it in a blender and trying to get it all. You need to separate it out. If you had to choose between God and your own way, which would you choose? And if you choose God, you know what you just did? You develop some discernment. No, no. If you see the difference between God and the world and yourself, you have some discernment. When you choose, the, when you choose is when you make the judgment. And let me show you that. We're almost, we're almost through this passage. Look at this. Give her the living child and look at it, it says in verse number 28, and all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged and they feared the king. For they saw that the wisdom of God was in him. Watch these next three words. To do judgment. Judgment is something that you do. You make a decision and your life changes as a result. Discernment is important, but discernment is not judgment. Discernment leads to judgment. Now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Church, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very jealous that you would understand this and, 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 and work towards an understanding of this because it is so important in this crazy world in which we live. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse number 12. Paul said, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So what we're trying to understand is how do we, how does love interact with knowledge and judgment? Chapter 2, verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the, of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that's the Holy Spirit, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak. Here's the key. Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. Hey, Will Rogers wrote a lot of cool stuff. 
There, there, there's, Jordan Peterson's written some very interesting stuff. There is such a thing as worldly wisdom. And I'd rather have Jordan Peterson or you name the, the philosopher that, that is trying to be moral. I'd rather have him living beside me than a lot of other people I could name. But that's not the same as godly wisdom. Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. How does he teach us? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's the word of God. Reading verses in the Bible and comparing those verses with other verses in the Bible. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now watch this. You've got knowledge which leads to discernment, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things. It's an action based on discernment. It's the confidence in the word of God is not just, well, there's a lot of stuff in there and I just take what I can and leave the rest. That's man's wisdom talking. God's wisdom says the word of God can be known by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. When you know that, you understand salvation is not of works. Why? Because the scripture plainly teaches that. Now you have confidence. Someone says, uh, I'm working my way to heaven. You say, you can't work your way to heaven. Why? Because the Baptist church teaches. How did the Baptist church get into this thing? The word of God teaches. The Baptists may or may not be right on that. In that, I think we're right. But we're not right because we're Baptists. We're right because the scripture says it. Compare spiritual things with spiritual. So in your life, you say, I just want to love and I want, I want to just understand love. You've got to kick some of that knowledge in by studying the word. And then you can distinguish between good and bad and worse and better. You can start discerning between those things. And then that will lead you to a place of judgment. This is what scripture says. Now, all those judgments are going to be based on faith. But faith in the words of God. How can I know what the Bible actually teaches? Because these guys say this and that guy says that. Here's, what you, here's how you can know. By comparing spiritual things with spiritual to the point where you can say, this is what God says. This is what God says. And God uses other people to help you with that. That's part of my job, to try to help you as much as I can. He says in verse 16, Who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So Paul is praying that they would have an intelligent and action-based love. True love is decisive. It's not ambivalent. You love someone, and that leads you to an altar where you say the words, I do. It's an action. It's a judgment. Will you have this one? I will. I'm not ambivalent. Well, I mean, I like her a lot, you know, but there's sometimes there's some things. No, I will, and I do. It's a judgment. Now, you don't just walk up to the first person you meet and say, I will. I do. Uh, why? Because there's no discernment in that. You say, well, I love her. No, love has to also include knowledge. Right? Godly love means that you are willing to commit, but it also means that you would say, I do, to the right kind of person. Not just that you're going to get married. I want to get married. Might as well get married. You know what? You, you might as well not get married if you're just getting married to get married. Get married to the right person. 
that's making the judgment that's correct based on discernment. Paul prayed that their love would abound in knowing more and doing more. Uh, G.I. Joe used to teach us, knowing is what? Half the battle. Amen. And, and hey, thank God for G.I. Joe. When you, di- when you didn't get anything out of Sunday school, you get something out of G.I. Joe. Knowing is half the battle. So what's the other half? Doing. Knowing is part of it. Doing is the second part. Love is the right motive. All of this is done because of love. I want you to write this down. If you're not writing anything down, here's something for you to write down. Love is the right motive. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. Knowledge is the right discernment. Having discernment, knowledge, and then judgment is the right action. Now, let me give you a couple illustrations we'll be done. Here's illustration. Your kids love you. And so they decide one day that they're going to make breakfast for you. Anybody had this before? So they know that you love fried eggs. So it's not just love, but now they know that you, that you like eggs, and specifically fried eggs, so they have some knowledge. And they decide that they're going to make you not oatmeal, not cereal, they're going to make you eggs. They've separated it out. Discernment has caused them to, to make a choice. They see the choices, and then their judgment decides. They said, I am going to make this for mom. Now, what they don't know is that fried eggs are only fried for a certain length of time. You don't just put them on the, the skillet and leave them there. And so what happens? They burn the eggs. What they didn't know resulted in judgment, but not really good judgment. They needed more knowledge so that they could make better decisions. The next time they make breakfast, they have greater knowledge about frying eggs So they have better judgment the next time. They make better decisions. And it's a continual cycle. That's why the Lord is praying here. I pray that your love would abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Because it's you you say, I want to love my wife. You know, the Lord tells us in 1 Peter, we should dwell with our wives according to knowledge. And that knowledge should continually increase. We should know something about our wife so that it changes what decisions we make about our wife. Now, your love will not abound yet more and more if you know something about someone, but you refuse to change your actions. Here's another illustration. Your love says, I, my wife and I, we really love a guy named Gene, and so we want to have Gene over for dinner. That's love. That's the right motive. But my love, after I've invited him, I find out that Gene does not like, somehow I found out that he does not like what we were preparing for the meal. That we were going to have lasagna. Gene hates lasagna. So now my love has been informed by knowledge. I have more knowledge of Gene. So what happens? I now change my behavior. I make something else. Now, if I happen to find out that he also hates that thing, I'm going to change my behavior again. Why? I love Gene, and I love Gene in such a way that I want to show him that love, but I need that love to be informed by knowledge, and that knowledge 
is going to cause me to make better decisions. This is how you grow in your relationship with your, with your spouse. This is how you grow in your relationship with your kids, with your grandkids, with your neighbors. You see, love is not just a feeling like, a, like lightning that strikes occasionally. Love is a continual overflowing. What do you know about the people that you love? Make better decisions about what you know. When you know that, then you can change your behavior. That's your judgment. You see, what the Lord's trying to do, he's trying to get us to know more so we can do better. He wants us to know more about one another so that we can love one another better. It's hard to do. It's going to require discernment. It's going to require judgment that says, this is what I will do. I know so-and-so doesn't like when I say that, so I'm not going to say that anymore. I know so-and-so really enjoys this, and they enjoy having this, so I'm going to provide that for them. If we did that for one another, and we are doing that in so many ways, but my prayer is that our love would abound yet more and more. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, that you have love one to another. You ought to know the people in this church more next year than you do right now. By the end of next year, you should say, man, we've made a lot of progress in our love. We have moved forward. Jesus Christ is praying here that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Let me ask you these questions. Do you love your brother? Is your love abounding? Here's another question. Is your love informed by your feelings or by the word of God? By your biology and your upbringing or by what the words of scripture say? Do you love like God or do you love like you? Are you acting on the love of God in your life? This I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Let's bow our heads this morning.